This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In today's podcast... I talked to Katie Morton, a licensed marriage and family therapist practicing in Santa Monica, California. She is an entrepreneur and YouTube creator who has built a global mental health online community and is also an author and just recently released the book Traumatized. We talk today about how to identify, understand and cope with PTSD, how to deal with social media trauma using bridging statements to help move you from toxic self-talk that re-traumatizes you to healthy self-talk, how working on mental health gets worse before it gets better, and that this is okay, and how to grieve over lost time and periods of one's life from trauma and so much more. But before we begin, I want to remind you about my mental health retreat that is running in Dallas, Texas this year from the 2nd to the 4th of December, where I'm really going to get into practical tips on how to manage trauma how to manage the trauma that we have all dealt with over this pandemic and just the traumas of day-to-day life and the different types of trauma. I'm going to be showing you practically how to use the neurocycle to manage trauma, anxiety, depression, all these warning signals that something is going on in our life. I'm also going to be giving CMEs and CEUs if you need those, so you can register for those as well. So go to the link in the show notes, go to drleapconference.com and book your seat. I can't wait to see you there. I can't wait to sign your book. Before we begin as well, this podcast is for educational purposes and is not medical advice. If you need medical advice, please contact the appropriate medical professional. And now, on to today's podcast. Katie, it's so good to be interviewing you about your new book. I'm really excited. Here it is. I received it this week. It's beautiful. It feels good. And I absolutely love this color. It's just, it's beautiful. It's yeah. so gorgeous. It's actually one of the colors on the inside of my book as well. And I love that. I just love it. It feels so good in the pink and everything. So congratulations. And the content is as beautiful as the cover. So I'm really excited to talk to you. You've had so many wonderful talks about trauma and that really is your area of speciality. So welcome and thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. That's wonderful. So first of all, just tell my listeners a little bit more about you, who you are, what you do and why you wrote the book. Yeah, so I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've been creating educational content online all about mental health for 10 years now. And I actually specialize in my practice for many years in eating disorder treatment and self-injury. And that comes along with a lot of times like borderline personality disorder and trauma. And so I'd always thought that that could be the cause of the need for, you know, coping behaviors like eating disorder, self-injury work. And then when I started to spend more and more time online, I heard from people all over the world about how trauma was this like common vein mm-hmm. that I, I honestly believe. And I don't know if I say this in the book, but I believe most of us, I would even argue, especially with the pandemic, like at least 90% of us have been traumatized. We just need to talk about it and understand it more because we, it goes untreated because it goes unnoticed for years and years. And so that's really where the idea was born out of is honestly my years online recognizing how many people are affected by trauma. 
And it is, and it's so pervasive. It's in every, I always talk about the fact that there's also even those little day-to-day traumas that are not massive, but they're enough, they're enough of an adverse experience to throw us off. So, well, in your book, you say there's, there's a lot of things that I really, really love. And I want to touch on the eating disorders. I want to touch on the cutting because those are questions we get a lot of. So we'll come back to that. But you talk about whether to seek therapy or counseling. And I know we're starting at the end to the beginning, but I think it's a great place to start because not everyone realizes there's actually a difference between coaching, therapy and counseling. And when should you choose what? So I'd love to start there. And then I want to really dive into the trauma. Yeah. So there is a huge difference. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people think that, oh, life coaches do the same thing as therapists and it's it's really just not true mm-hmm. they can be beneficial to, to people i'm not knocking anyone's Absolutely. you know expertise however if something in our life is impeding our ability to function meaning that if if my anxiety let's say is getting so high that it's hard for me to socialize in the way that i want and it's hard for me to work in the way that i need to or it's hard for me to do those things go yeah. to family gatherings that's impairing my ability to function. We think of functionality when it comes to anything in our home, work life, you know, if we're in school, if it's affecting school, our social life, all of that, we need to notice if we're able to do everything we need to or want to. And if we can't, you should reach out to someone. And the difference between, let's say, a life coach and a therapist is that a therapist is actually a licensed professional who's gone through I mean, I did four years of undergrad and then two years of graduate school, plus so, gathering 3,000 hours of clinical work. And they're able to diagnose and treat mental illnesses. A life coach isn't able to do those things. They're more able to maybe help you get perspective on life, help you maybe better organize things or challenge some of those nasty thoughts that you have about yourself. And it's it's more, I would say life coaching is like when we would reach out to that person like that when we we just need kind of just a little boost in our life. We just feel like I'm just not quite where I want to be. But you would see a counselor, a therapist, or a social worker, even a psychologist. I kind of put those all in the same bucket. Mm -hmm. We would see anyone like myself or those other professionals when we aren't able to function or we're struggling and we want some some real tangible research-based support. Excellent. That's a really great way of looking at it. And One of the ways I always talk about coaches as well is that if you're in therapy, there may be a time when you can transition to coaching where you just need someone to just guide you along the way, just to be there with you, keeping you on track and kind of walking you through the process, as you say, give perspective and that kind of thing. So I'm very glad we touched on that and the deep yeah. difference for six years of training versus a coaching course, which is, you know, maybe a few months. There is a vast difference to understanding the, the, the human psyche. So that's really, really important. Now you talk as well a lot about that trauma is not just from... Let me put it this way. Very often when we talk about trauma in the older models, people, and even now, people still currently will think, okay, that's related to early childhood or PTSD or it's war trauma. You know, that like we see trauma as being associated with something huge, which it is, but that's only one type of trauma. As you said, yes. 90% of people are experiencing some level of trauma. I'd even go on to, to agree with you and say more, that 100% of people are being are experiencing some level of trauma, and obviously it's degrees of trauma to some extent. Would you talk about that? Let's talk about, you know, what is trauma and the different types of trauma and how we need to be more trauma-informed as a society. Yeah, and I agree and with why. that statement. We need to be more yeah. trauma-informed. I, I think that that has led to a lot of people feeling misunderstood or invalidated and minimized, and we already struggle with that. If anybody out there has struggled with trauma, you know that you already do invalidate yourself a lot. <laughs> you don't need any more. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so it kind of compounds that. And so I agree with you. We do need to be more trauma informed. And I think the idea of trauma, obviously, and I talk about this in my book at the very, I think it's like the second chapter, is the I, the idea or the research around PTSD did come from war, right? When people came back from war, yeah. they came back with mm-hmm. what was called shell shock and they didn't really understand it. And so I'm thankful that we were able to start the research about trauma because of that, because it was so apparent and there were so many people suffering with it very severely, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. However, the more that we know about things, and you have to think of like psychology is such a young field, really, yes. when it comes to research and it comes to understanding. And I'd even argue in the last 20 years, we've come a long way just in conversations about it. Yeah. You know, meeting people like you, having good conversations that are helpful in sharing in yeah. knowledge and research, it's important. And so trauma can come from large events, right? We can have one of my good friends who's a trauma specialist wrote a blurb for the book about what she calls big T's and little T traumas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're all traumas and it's not big and little to minimize or one's worse than the other. No, it's but just can. It's just exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And she describes a big T trauma like us standing on the sand at the edge of the ocean and the water's lapping at our feet and a big T trauma is like a tsunami. It floods in, sweeps us away and everything on the you know the edges of the boardwalk or whatever's up against the ocean and it brings it out to sea and we're washed away Good it analogy. takes us mm-hmm. our feet right out from underneath us right we cannot stabilize we cannot cope it's overwhelming yeah. and boom it happens like that mm-hmm. and that could be something like i was in a car crash or i was out mm-hmm. in war you know maybe just had one obviously when people go to war it's usually more than one instance of trauma but let's yeah. just say for the sake of this that it was one that happens and that causes PTSD that can develop into it. However, there are little T traumas, things like I'm standing at the edge of the water and I have to switch schools as a kid. That's hard. Mm-hmm. That tests my resilience, mm-hmm. right? Ooh, mm-hmm. that wave hits me. I, I can try to, I'm trying to get my footing. It doesn't just sweep me right out, right? Mm-hmm. But then let's mm-hmm. say a year later, our grandparent passes away. Mm-hmm. That's another trauma. Mm-hmm. I haven't even got my footing from the first one. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still trying to grapple sticking my feet in the sand as quickly as possible. And then let's say we're bullied. Boom. Mm-hmm. We're, our feet sweep out. We're washed out to sh- mm-hmm. out into the ocean, mm-hmm. pulled off the shore. That Both of those instances, one big instance of trauma or multiples where we can't get our footing, both can develop into PTSD symptoms and be just as debilitating. And I think that the more we, like there's a, a famous study, the ACEs study. Yeah. I think and I, I talk about that familiar. in the book too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's adverse childhood experiences, I think, mm-hmm. is what it stands yes, for. Yes, that's what it stands for. And as anybody, as I was researching for the book and reading through that, I don't think there's anybody out there that won't say yes to at least one of those things. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so those are traumas. Yeah. And I, I think the more that we talk about this, the more that we acknowledge, the more people will feel validated and understood as to their symptoms. Because even if, let's say, we don't fully develop PTSD, we can still have symptoms of it. Meaning I could still be hypervigilant. Like one of my good friends, when when COVID hit, yeah. she was like, I'm already prepared because I like hoard toilet paper and paper <laughs> in preparation yeah. because Pork. she's always worried there won't be enough. Exactly. And so anyways, it's I think it's important that we understand that trauma is a bunch of different things. And it all depends on our resilience, our ability to get that footing. How much can I manage? What tools or support do I have? And everybody's level is different. That's why it's like, we don't need to compare our trauma to someone else's. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Everyone's experience. That's why siblings can even be different too. Like my brother and I could have sustained the same upbringing 
I could struggle and be, you know, with depression, PTSD, anxiety, and he could have none of those problems and be like, mm. I don't know what, what your issue is. You know, we see that all the time. And, oh, all the time. Yeah. And no, so that's know, really good. Mm-hmm, go ahead. Yeah. So just knowing about your resilience level, understanding that if it's a trauma to you, it's a trauma to you. That's, that's it. Very period. important. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just changing the way we talk about it. Sleep is so important for optimal mind and brain health, as I'm sure you well know, but it can be a challenge. Thankfully, there are many ways to improve your sleep environment, including choosing the sheets you'll be sleeping on night after night. This is why I love Ball and & Branch and the ultra-soft organic sheets, which are transparently sourced and produced in safe, fair conditions. You'll feel a difference and you know you're making one. I love their products so much that I've even bought sets as gifts for friends and family, knowing they will care for them as much as I do. My personal favorite is their signature hemmed sheets, which are so soft they feel almost buttery, and they only get softer with every wash. Plus, I love that their 100% organic cotton sateen weave is perfect for all seasons, especially as we head into the colder months. I am thankful that I don't have to keep changing my sheets every season. To experience the best sheets you've ever felt, choose Ball & Branch. You can try them worry-free for 30 nights with free shipping and returns. And my listeners get an exclusive 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code DrLeaf at BallAndBranch.com. That's BallAndBranch, B-O-L-L, and Branch.com. Promo code DrLeaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. I love that. And it has become so different. You know, if I think back to 38 years ago when I was trained and was practicing and I practiced as a clinical neuroscientist. So we came from that whole sort of brain perspective as well and mind brain Mm -hmm. connection. It was interesting because we would work with a psychologist and with a psychiatrist. And I say that to say how it was almost like anything that was mind was, well, that's not as important. It's kind of like it's all in your head. So, you know, that all in your head is a negative statement. But yeah. now you and I know that <laughs> all in your head is the statement. I mean, it's like that's yes. where it all starts and it ends. And if that's, you know, that's not sorted out. So that's what I'm so happy now in this day and age that we are seeing the value of of it's all in the head as being, wow, let's pay attention versus, oh, it's all in the head, brush it aside, just get yourself together. You yeah, know, that like, I don't of, know what's wrong with you. That's yeah, all in your exactly. head. <laughs> and just bury your head in the sand sort of thing. So that's really wonderful that we're talking. And more and more people are talking about this and writing about this. And that's how we can shift and make a shift in in how we handle things in society. And yeah, that's really fantastic. I mean, just look at the the changes in this day and age with you know, technology. And, and I was just talking to my one of my, my kids that range between the age of 22 and 30. And so we've got two like borderline millennials and borderline Gen Z. So uh-huh. they, they even even there they like the one twenty seven year old was saying, "Oh gosh, I don't even understand some of these Gen Z. I don't even understand what they're talking about." Mm-hmm. You know, because she was joking and saying because I couldn't do something and there was some technology thing she was helping with. And she said, oh, these old people. I said, "I'm not old. I'm only fifty eight. <laughs> she said, "Mom, you are old. I'm old to the Gen Z. I don't even know what they're talking about." Yeah. So we just had a <laughs> we had a laugh about that. But that change, that shift, is also in itself. A, each generation is experiencing its trauma. So my question is, let's just talk for a moment about sort of the generational trauma and yeah. maybe with, you know, the social media, because I know that that's the area that you have expertise in and that kind of trauma that it's causing with your Gen Z or millennials. And I really think Gen Z seems to be suffering, everyone's suffering from it, but, you know, there's so much good in it, but there's also so much suffering. So let's unpack that a little bit because people are familiar with that. They're aware of it, but what does it look like? Can you give more information, maybe some guidance for parents that are listening those that are listening, Gen Z's that are listening. 
Yeah, of course. And I think, like you said, social media can be a beautiful thing, right? It's it's allowed me to connect with you. It allows yeah. me to connect with my community. I get to hear from people. And it's actually the reason that the book was able to be created, right? I yeah. heard from them how debilitating trauma was and you know how difficult it was. And I felt like people needed to talk about it. We need to hear more. Yeah. But the dark side of social media is in that connectivity. If we think about trauma and the definition of trauma, the way I kind of define it is anything that happens to us that threatens us or someone that we care about, threatens their physical or emotional safety, we can become traumatized. It can be overwhelming to our system, right? We're not able to process it and we can become traumatized. If I'm watching you live through social media be hurt or watching something scary happen, watching someone break into someone's home and, and shoot someone. I mean, I know that people, it sounds wild and it sounds terrible, but if we think about it, there have been instances of this where people have live streamed horrific acts of violence. Yeah, yeah. And I believe that in those instances, like I remember, I forget if this was, this was like 2020 or 2019, probably 2019, but there was a girl driving drunk, live streaming herself driving oh, with her sister I, in the car. I, I think to remember that incident, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they got into a horrible accident and her sister oh. died. And I I would be lying if I didn't say I wasn't affected, right? Like I was, I couldn't, I don't know. It was, it was overwhelming mm-hmm. to my system. Mm-hmm. And so that connectivity, I believe, gives us, it makes us more vulnerable mm-hmm. to trauma. I think then I talk in the book about the importance of being careful about who we follow and what we digest online. Because we always talk about garbage in, garbage out when it comes mm-hmm. to our diet, like food that we put into our bodies. Mm-hmm. But what we see and what we digest with our eyes is just as important. And so one thing that I do with, with freedom is mute and unfollow people. And so if it is someone that I, I really care about in my real life, I may have a conversation where I'm like, hey, I'm just trying to work on myself and I find myself feeling jealous of you. And so I need to work on that. So I'm going to mute you for a little bit. Know that I love you. It has nothing to do with you. It's all about me. Now, I know for a lot of people, those kinds of conversations are really difficult to have. Yeah. But that's why mute and to is receive. an option. And to receive. People are very yes. judgmental about those kind of conversations. So you've got to be yeah. prepared for that boundary you need to create. Exactly. And and if it doesn't feel safe for you, there's nothing wrong with just muting someone and they don't have to know about it. It'll exactly. still show you follow them. You just won't see their posts. And in a lot of ways, I think we need to utilize social media in a very cautious, careful way. I had talked, I think it was Dr. Drew months and months ago, but he thinks that we will talk about social media in like 10 years, the way that we talked about smoking in like the, the 80s. Oh, absolutely. It's like we realize, oh, this is really dangerous. We didn't think it was dangerous. We thought it was so wonderful. And and there are beautiful parts of it, but I think we need to be really careful and cautious about who we follow and why we follow them and how we feel before and after interacting with social media. So good. So good. So to have that very aware, insightful approach. I read a study just a couple of days ago about how they're showing more and more. It's not about the quantity of social media. It's about the quality. And that's what you're referring to. You know, it's the quality, quantity argument. That, you know, just it's it's really how are you handling it? It's what are you doing with it? What are you thinking about it as you go through and how are you managing that? And that's such a major problem is is manage is mind management of issues of life. And I think this is mm-hmm. where social media has created that instant or technology. This this we we're dealing with a major quick 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 fix, instant gratification in you know in order in this time. This is that this is a really big issue, which also in itself is traumatic because then you think, well, if I why am I not better? Am I, you know, the comparison thing and I yeah. don't know how you feel about that as well with social media and quick fix yeah. mentality and give me a pill or 
it's got to be done now and yeah versus doing the work because change is hard Mm -hmm. right change is uncomfortable we don't make any behavioral change without some discomfort and i think that instant gratification and also one of my favorite quotes is comparison is the thief of joy Yes, it's such a good quote. And it's just so true, right? I can mm-hmm. be so happy with something that I have, right? Let's say, you know, I've worked forever and I finally got a, a car. I bought my own car and I'm so proud. Yeah. And then up comes a friend in a brand new BMW or something. And, yeah. and it's, you know, it, we could look and be like, oh, well, then my car looks like garbage, right? And it can take away that joy when in reality, you should be proud and your car is amazing and, and you worked for it. And it's yours, you know? Yes, it's that whole competition thing versus enhancement. And, you know, the interesting thing, Katie, is that we see from the brain research, the neuroscience, that when you are envious and try and compete with others to the point where it goes to envy, you cause brain damage. So mm. it's just, you know, whereas if you support, if you enhance others and you don't see them, if you're happy for them for who they are and what they're achieving, but you don't aren't happy for them, happy in this negative sense that you want, you want what they've got, kind of the envy you then can increase your own intelligence. So just, I mean, it all goes to say yeah. how we, it's, you know, that in itself, that envy, as you say, the car thing, that in itself then becomes a joy turns into a trauma. Oh, if interesting. You think of it, yeah, I mean, it joy? makes sense. I just never mm-hmm. thought about it in that way. But yeah. if you think about your ability to weather it, right, and to come out on top to feel okay, if you're not able to, if it becomes debilitating, if that's all you can think about, I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've unfortunately had some patients over the years really struggle with that comparison mm-hmm. factor. And I mean, in the eating disorder space, it's rampant oh, and it yes. does become like all consuming. Mm, it really can. And then you, you, you sit these patterns up and you wire them in and you practice them for, you know, the periods of time, the 63 day cycles and whatever. So you set the yeah. wiring in because I don't, not many people realize how we all know that we, we use the analogies of walking down the same pathway and how you wear that pathway out. But it really is real in the brain. If you're using something or thinking in a certain way that you, for example, the comparing. So every time something happens to you or everything in your life you compare, you then wire in a predictive pathway. So then you mm-hmm. see your life through negative comparison, and that is traumatic. You know, yeah. everything then becomes a trauma because you don't have the thief of joy, as you mentioned, which is, which is so important. You also worked a lot in your early years with people that battled with cutting and eating disorders. Now, those are related, unrelated Sometimes you find both. Can you talk a little bit about those either separately or together, whichever way it works? Because those are very important things to discuss, as we know, but they're very often the white elephant in the room. So I'd love to just address those. So take it however you want. But those are yeah. So no, no, and that's that's, I'm I'm glad giving the opportunity to talk about it because it is those are two very stigmatized mental illnesses, and even with self injury, a lot of people still don't understand it and assume from the beginning that it's a suicide attempt, which it is not. And Mm -hmm. non-suicidal self-injury is in the DSM as like an area needing further study. But as we know, I mean, our diagnostic manuals are always like 10 years behind. And the symptom related doesn't give you any description. So it's really just... It's garbage, essentially. Yeah, it's garbage. Yeah, it's a good place to start. I always say it's a good door stopper, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. And for people who are like, but it, you know, but I like to know. I'm like, well, it's a good place to start. We can start our understanding there, but that should definitely not be the end all be all. So glad you brought that up. Thank you. Yeah, no, of course. I had a ton about it in the book, but my editor was like, I don't think people need to know (laughs) about all your thoughts. I know how you feel. I know you feel, well, there's a mutual feeling here. So (laughs) yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Good. That makes me feel good. 
But when it comes to eating disorders and self-injury, the way that I view them is more as a, a maladaptive coping skill, meaning that we didn't have any tools to manage how we felt or what we were going through. In that through. moment, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we use what we can and control mm-hmm. what we can, and that is often our body. And actually, that's mm-hmm. really the only thing we can kind of control is ourselves, mm-hmm. right? We can't control mm-hmm. anybody else. And so people will, you know, overeat, undereat, overexercise, whatever, you know, abuse laxatives, purge. And then mm-hmm. with, within the eating disorder space, a lot of it is is co- like born out of trauma because I feel so... Like, for instance, I had a patient years ago who said that her abuser, she was sexually abused as a child. Again, trauma, right? Yeah. And her abuser trauma. said that he liked how squishy she was. <clears throat> and so I'm just going to stop eating. I won't be squishy. That's what attracted him to me. That's why this happened to me. Mm. I'm going to fix this. And it's not always so directly correlated like mm-hmm, that. But in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, it really is. For many patients of mine over the years, it's about feeling free to take up space. When we're we're in the more restrictive type of eating disorder, we can feel mm-hmm. like we don't have a right to take up space. So I need to take up as little space as possible, especially females. It's not always females, but there's kind of this systemic, you know, we have to make ourselves smaller and, and not be as, as loud maybe as we want. And luckily those things are changing, but for many generations, mm-hmm. you know, that can be a message that was received. So interesting. Mm-hmm. And then for the binging side, because I believe binge eating disorder to be the most common eating disorder. Mm-hmm. That for a lot of my patients and viewers have told me a lot of it's like, I just want to numb out. And the way I numb out is I focus all my energy on like procuring the food that I want and setting up the ritual for the eating Mm. and then eating until I'm so uncomfortably full that that's all I can think about. Right. If I'm Mm. uncomfortable, it's hard to focus on anything else. If I feel Mm. a little sick, I can't acknowledge that I really feel sad or I really feel lonely, angry, you know, whatever Mm. it may be. And so eating disorders, instead of seeing them, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of, you know, media portrays it as like a vanity measure. It's more done as a way to cope and a mm. way to, to numb symptom. out. Yes, exactly. And it's mm. like you know, when we talk on the live, the live audio room about, yeah. or even on my live uh, Instagram, I do yes, like, yes. about the, like the tree, right? Because you're yes. talking about like wiring and that's kind of like the roots. And if we think of it, Yes, it's like the eating disorder is one of those leaves. It's just yeah. a symptom out the top. And like yeah. everybody wants to just treat that like, oh, you just exactly. need to eat. Ugh. You just need to not eat as much, eat less and exercise. Mm. That helps if I don't have an eating disorder. Exactly. And where does the eating disorder come from? It's coming from a root. There's an origin story De- Deep inside, which is usually yeah. trauma or you know, I mean, another form trauma. of trauma. Or trauma. It is, it's mainly or trauma. trauma. Yeah, it's trauma, like trauma, trauma, whatever. Yeah. Trauma. yeah, it's trauma any way you look at it. And yeah. then self-injury is very similar. I see them as very There's related. There's the toxic one. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love that. Such a good visual. But the I've self-injury eating disorders for many of my patients, not all, but they're very closely connected. You could even see under eating or overeating as a way of harming yourself, yeah, right? If we sure. like conceptualize it that way. But again, it's a coping skill. Some of my patients who were neglected as children will injure themselves. Again, it's 99.9% of the time, it's not a suicide attempt. I ask them about it. It is important to to have a conversation so that you fully understand. Let's not yeah. be ignorant, right? But yeah, exactly. once they've explained to us why, it's usually more like one of my patients was neglected. And when she would harm herself, she would do what her mother never did. She would tend to her wounds. She Aww, would care for herself. and said. Mm. Yeah, part of that was that inner child that needed someone mm. to say, I love you, it's okay, I see your boo-boo, mm. you know, put the band-aid on it, kiss it, make it better. And so she was trying in 
although it was an unhealthy way because it wasn't sustainable and it ends up not making you feel and better. And that's what most trauma responses are. They're unsustainable, but they're in the moment. Yes. And that's all we know, right? So we try to feel better in the moment. And so I really see those like eating disorders and self-injury is very related, even though mm. not all people engage in both, but they're really just ways to cope, ways to express the pain we feel. Mm. Some of my self-injury patients will say that it, it shows what I feel inside. And the best thing we can do when we're struggling with either is honestly slowly get in touch with the thoughts and the feelings and what, you know, it is that it's going to the root. I always talk mm. to my audience about the root of the root. We can treat the symptoms and we do want to get the eating disorder and self-injury behavior under control. Yes. However, it's out of that trauma. We have to figure out where it's coming mm. from. What's Because then if we heal that trauma or that root, then the, that, the tree won't survive, right? No, so the, the, urge, the urge to do it will go, will go away. It doesn't mm. have a purpose anymore. So why would we do it? Mm, that's so good. That's, that's excellent. And that's you in my wheelhouse now. When it comes to the biomedical model, I do like I do want everybody to know that I do believe that medication can be helpful. I always talk to my audience and my patients alike that if we're drowning in those symptoms, because those symptoms are what brings us into therapy or makes us reach out to our doctor, those symptoms can be terrible. And so if we are drowning in them so much so that any of the behavioral techniques or tools you or I would offer, you can't do them then that's okay. It's a it's a resource. It's a tool that we're going to use to get you to a place where you can try but to act differently. Not the way they're doing it chronically. It's an acute. No. It's like and it should sur- only be medication. Exactly. It's like if you have, I always explain it, like if you have surgery, you're not going to go, you're not going to do it without an anesthetic. But yeah. you're not going to live on an anesthetic. And psychotropics are basically anesthetics. So they're meant Agreed. to numb for a very, very short time and then move on so yes and then there's different types that really wreck your brain like benzos and those kind of things really wreck your brain so here hear what you're saying yeah when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply and then, I mean, obviously there's more pervasive mental illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, which may need medication to allow us to function in our life. Everybody's situation is different, but just having medication on board without any work to get into the root, like, cause we're talking about trauma specifically here. If you have trauma in your life and you're merely treating the depression, the anxiety, the explosiveness that maybe you feel that accompanies your PTSD, it's not going to get any better for you. Like you're just... Maybe you'll find a medication that makes those symptoms kind of go away, but you're going to be dependent upon that medication for the rest of your life. And if it stops working, then what? Then we have to find another. It could take three weeks, you know. Well, there's a lot around that as well. That whole discussion of medication, it's so terribly complex because of the polypharmacy and the withdrawal symptoms being mixed up with mm -hmm. all. So there's so much involved there. So medication is just one of those areas that's so dangerous. Yes. and yeah. Yeah. So I think of it as a, as a life raft to get your head above water while you do the work. And I think, unfortunately, the way that our, our systems of care are set up in, in the States and other parts of the world, they don't put enough emphasis on the actual therapeutic work and Absolutely. even preemptive work. Mm. They should encourage people to get into treatment and talk to someone earlier. Because exactly. Exactly. Like in the eating disorder realm, like I couldn't, I used to work in a residential facility for years 
And if they weren't their BMI, which is such garbage. Oh, gosh, such garbage. Thank you. Yeah. It wasn't low enough, then they couldn't be admitted because it wouldn't be covered by insurance. Insurance. And I'm like, it's just crazy. Yeah. Why should they have to get sicker in order for them to get treatment? That doesn't make any sense. You should want them to get treated earlier because then it won't take as long for them to get better, right? We don't have to go through so many cycles. We won't. Exactly. It just angers me like nothing else. And oh, so, I, no, I agree with you. Thanks <laughs> and for bringing even that up. In socialized medicine systems, I hear from my audience all the time. They're very, you know, vocal about in like Canada and the UK, you wait for like a year and a half to get in to see a therapist and then they give you like six to eight sessions. And so now we can move into like timelines. So mm-hmm. if you are going to see someone like in my first book, Are You Okay? that came out in 2018, I talk about mm-hmm. what, how to find a good therapist. Like, what should you be looking for? What are yeah, the things you should Yeah, that's one of the ask? things I wanted to bring up. I'm so glad that you, because mm-hmm. you benched a little bit in here as well. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. Because yeah, a lot of people don't know, right? And when mm-hmm. we go to a doctor, mm-hmm. we automatically think, well, they know more than I do. So they must have my best interest in mind. They must be exactly. good at their job. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's important to try a couple of people ask you can ask to see their resume or cv you can ask them yeah, where they train you can. you're the customer exactly you, you should want you the consumer. i would want to go to you know i don't know let's say i have an issue with my heart i would want to make sure it was a cardiologist exactly. and not a foot doctor exactly that might be important right and yeah, the same goes for a therapist important. you want to yeah. make sure that they are trained and understand what you are dealing with especially trauma you want to make sure they're trauma informed mm-hmm. and you know preferably a trauma specialist but i know in some places that's not available. So trauma informed is, you know, is good too. Mm -hmm. But a good therapist will create what we call a treatment plan. Now, some therapists like myself, I'm pretty rigid about it. I like to get it on paper. I like to write it out. I like to give you a copy. I like to have it be like this living, breathing document that we Mm -hmm. constantly talk through and work on. But I know other therapists have different, you know, feelings where they're like, we just talk about it. I write it in my notes. I follow up. That's all fine. All that to say, you should have goals that you are working Mm -hmm. toward Mm -hmm. and that you check in on those goals Mm -hmm. frequently and you feel that you're making progress towards them. Now, some things are going to be easier than others. Like, okay, let's say one thing that's really bothering me is I want to stop chewing my nails. And so, you know, I do some behavioral techniques. I notice what my triggers are when I really want to chew and and I try to find ways to manage that. Okay, that might take, I don't know, let's say a couple of months and then maybe I'm able to stop. But then there's going to be these deeper issues like trauma and healing from that. And that takes a lot of inner child work. There's going to be these Mm. different issues that come up. We're going to have to understand what shame is and how much of a hold it has on our lives Mm -hmm. and work to change those thought patterns so we can like unwire those essentially beliefs we have about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to trauma work, I always tell people it's more long-term. I would honestly, I mean... Most of my trauma patients that I've seen over the years, we're talking two years of treatment potentially, depending Mm -hmm. on how pervasive, right? I don't want anybody who's been there for five years or six years. If you're still feeling like you're making progress and you still feel that these, these issues that you're diving into are, you're you're, you're not bothered by them as much. The symptoms are going down. Mm -hmm. We don't feel as emotionally charged when we talk about things. We're not as disruptive or dysregulated. Mm -hmm. Then that's all good. So stay in as long as you need. But Mm -hmm. I I really think we're talking years, not months. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I had some of my patients that would go through multiple 63-day cycles, which would take you into two years, sometimes two Mm -hmm. and a half years, working on one thing that actually was 20 things because of the pervasiveness of trauma. Yeah, well, you think it might so, be one root, but then you see that root has got legs of its, its own. Exactly. Yeah. I always think of it like the redwoods in San Francisco. 
You know, they have mm-hmm. the, one of the biggest root systems of trees in the world and how they're just so pervasive and how they reach into each other's tree. You know, all the roots connect with each other and they're above the ground and below the ground. And, you know, it's, it's everywhere, that kind of thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of, you, they, they, they're in your face and, and you're not even always aware of that. So Exactly. And you might mm-hmm. not know when you first dig in what you're going to mm-hmm. find. Mm-hmm. And that's very normal. Repressed memories are a real thing and it very happens. It's a, it's a way for us to survive. It's adaptive. Exactly. I get it. But mm-hmm. you might be surprised what you find. I, I talk about trauma, like having this big closet. I think I mentioned this on our IG mm-hmm. Live. It's like a big mm-hmm. closet with these bins of just chaos, things we've stuffed in, pushed to the back, put yeah. up something else in front of it. And then when we try to do the work with a therapist, we pull all these bins out and dump it on the floor to make sense of it, to organize. And then we realize just how much it is, right? We might, we haven't looked in that closet for years. So we might be surprised what we find. And I think giving yourself some compassion and time and ensuring that Mm. the person that you're seeing is working with you towards your goals. I know in therapy, it can be hard. We can feel like Oh, I'm making progress on that for a little bit, but then my my actual life today becomes stressful and we get sidetracked by that and I never get yeah. back to that trauma work. That's because you're you're probably either not having enough therapy time or you're not seeing a therapist who is trauma informed or a trauma specialist because all of the things that are happening today, I know this might be hard for people to hear and you yeah. may disagree, but the problems you're having today are representative of the problems you had yesterday. So there's really not a difference. I don't really see a derailment necessary when it comes to my patients who are like in a fight with their husband, but we're looking, we're dealing with their past relationship with their mom or dad or something. I'm like, oh, do you see how this is, is connected? This is connected, and it's connected. And it keeps you on track. I think having someone who can ensure that you we're bringing it back to the thing that we're really working on because that's what's causing this upset today. Very good. I like that what you've raised here. The point that. Life happens. It's not going to suddenly get better because you're in therapy. You're going to still get hit by your day-to-day stuff, plus all the traumas that will happen today and yeah. tomorrow and next week, as well as dealing on the past. So you've, that's why we have to have the whole this whole concept of mind management, which is what you build into the therapy situation as well. And they've got to know how to manage themselves in between. So it's almost, I often think like when people say, oh, this happened, that's why I couldn't get it done. There's a certain, obviously a level of truth, but it's almost, and this is not judgment at all. This is very much a going, and I'd love your opinion on this, but it goes to the fact that, okay, I'm at a point in the trauma work where it's it's getting really hard. Things get worse mm. before they get better. And it can feel yeah. like you're going backwards, but actually you're progressing forward. You know, that I can say from the neuroscience research, because we see that. You see the changes in the brain, but you actually feel a little bit worse, but it's a different kind of worse. And you're so right. If you are in a trauma-informed therapist, you can explain, yes, it is worse, but it's a different worse. Yes, the depression may be more, but it's a different depression because you're now depressed about what you're seeing that you didn't yes. see before. And so therefore, that's you're dealing with, and now you're dealing with the day-to-day stuff, but you're so vulnerable from what you've just seen that the day-to-day stuff is 10 times worse than what it would have maybe yes. have been when you didn't see that. But you'll get through this too because you're progressing. So I'm really glad mm-hmm. you raised that, that it's just to keep people back on, on, on track and keep moving forward. I thought all that great work you've done to that point. Yeah. If you stop there or you know, you can, you, you'll start, just the nature, your, your, your mind and Bind patterns and your brain patterns will go back to yeah because they're comfortable there they're used to it right until it's, this it's, is, until this is uprooted yep. that's it's very easy to go back and even when this is uprooted you still can remember because you never forget the past but yes. if you've stabilized your new pattern enough you will know how to deal with any of those but if you yes. haven't stabilized and i think that's and that's was what i wanted to get in therapy and you you would you've brought that up if you don't have that new way of functioning sufficiently stabilized and grown to a point you're not going to know how to deal with the day-to-day crazy 
as well as the progress you're actually making in therapy, which can feel very scary and painful. No, 100%. And I think it is important. I love that you said that because a lot of times, and I know, I know it kind of sucks to hear this, but like, I know it can take us forever to reach out, right? It can take even Mm. myself when I get back into therapy, I'll know I need to go back and it'll still take me a few months to make Mm -hmm. the call and schedule an appointment. That's just human nature, unfortunately, or life. I don't know. It's just the way that we are. That's so mm-hmm. once we get in, we want to feel better. We're like, I'm getting treatment. How come worse. I don't feel better? <laughs> you feel <And> worse. <laughs> I always tell my, all my patients, but specifically trauma, eating disorder, and self-injury-based patients, I'm always like, it's going to get worse at first because, like, to your point, yeah. you, you're opening up that closet and you're like, yeah. oh my goodness, there's so much in here. And we can become overwhelmed at first, yeah, right? It can much. feel like mm-hmm. a lot if we've been stuffing our feelings for a long time and so they start to come up. We're like, what are these? I don't know how to deal. I don't like yeah. this. This feels bad. And so what, and we're, we're kind of in that learning phase of treatment. And so it's like we're going up this hill towards a better mm. us. But those first few miles are just brutal. Mm. But know that it does get better. There, we get to the peak and we go down. And so then good. It's smooth mm. sailing. And so I always tell people just hang in there, especially if we're trying to break an addiction or a pattern. Yeah, right? just the our, symptoms. Mm-hmm. Our brain's like, no, I want to go back. This would be so much easier. This is so much harder over here. And our here. mind is doing it too. Mind and yes. brain and body are all trying to pull back. All, the messy, the messiness the- is pulling us back. Yeah. Yeah, they love that comfortability, right? That pattern. Mm-hmm. We did this for years. Why are we not doing mm-hmm. that now? Mm-hmm. And so just have patience and compassion with yourself because it does get better. It's just hard at first. Oh, and no, no one mm-hmm. said this behavioral change or working on our, our brain or our mind to, to, to think differently and to act differently was easy. It's just worth it. And that goes to the point we made in the beginning that the current sort of philosophy is quick fix Five steps, mm-hmm. the wellness industry, positive psychology, which have all got good elements, obviously. But there is the messaging of what's wrong with you? You've had X amount of 10 CBT yep. sessions. You've read five wellness books. You've done the <laughs> seminar. You've, you know, why aren't you? Yeah, you know, you've got to. And, and I know we laugh at that, but it's the truth. It's that. Mm-hmm. And I also think of like, you know, if you think of a swing, when you put a child on a swing and you first push them, there's a lot of effort. And then suddenly the swing, you've actually. You know, you just take off. You've got to, like, you know, yeah, watch that it. Momentum. The child doesn't, the momentum has to build. And then we saw in our neuroscience research, we saw in my most recent clinical trial, we saw that peak that, that we call a gamma peak happening okay. around 21 days. And when people hit that peak, it's that's when they feel, oh my gosh, like I feel yeah. worse, but I feel better. It's like this paradox. And then it starts getting, okay, I can, you get to the other side and you start getting, okay, I can, I can manage, I can make this work for me. You know, it's to get people through those particular phases. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. We had yeah. such an interesting discussion as well in your in, in the Instagram live recently about the bridges. Remember going across the chasm yes, bridge the bridges. Yes. yes, I'd love to talk about that because you, you explained that beautifully. I really loved how you explained that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, of course. And I, I talk about it in the book too because I think it's just yes, such a, it's a helpful that. tool. Yeah. yeah, that's why I wanted to bring it up. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Here's the so, book we're talking about, by the way. Yeah. The one really fantastic. So when we want to change a thought pattern, right, because we can have these automatic well, let's be honest, we all have a conversation with ourselves every day, all day, exactly. if, whether we're aware of it or not. And that conversation can be very abusive. Mm. It can, in, in and of itself, re-traumatize us. And so those conversations can be like, you're so stupid, you're so lazy, you never get it right, no one's going to love you. It can be any kind of nasty conversation. And I want to interrupt you for one second, mm-hmm. the re-traumatize. I hope everyone yeah. heard that. We can re-traumatize ourselves. 
carry on. I just yeah, wanted to through, through those conversations, right? It, it's harmful. It's threatening. And we might not be able to process. Mm-hmm. And so we can be having these conversations all the time. And a lot of society would say like, oh, just fake it till you make it. You know, be positive. Think positively. But our brain. Band-aid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a band-aid. It's, it's, it's putting a band-aid on a broken leg. And so instead of doing that, what I call toxic positivity, just think positive. Because we all know if I've been thinking I'm stupid for 37 years and I get into to therapy today and my therapist says to me, you need to say that you're very smart. I think you're super smart. You should think that you're smart. My yes, brain's going to say, mm, I have a lot of evidence and years of, Mm-mm, that's a lie. Yeah. And it will, won't believe it and it won't yeah. continue it. Right. No. And that old one will come right back. You're stupid, stupid, stupid. There so it is. Instead, <laughs> yes. Because that tree is like, it's yeah, the other one, the other one is like the size, you know, so you're yes. trying to put this, you know, <laughs> it's just like a tiny seed. And so instead of doing that, we have to use what, what I call bridge statements. And it's essentially building a bridge slowly, plank by plank, nail by nail from the negative dumpster fire of a conversation we're having into a more positive, loving, compassionate conversation with ourselves. And the goal of those bridge statements is to be neutral. I like that, like neutral. I feel like the ocean between these islands is called neutral land. So a bridge statement, when I think I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, would be I'm open to considering that what Katie's saying could have some truth to it, maybe. And I know people think, well, that's not really positive at all because you didn't like talk back to that. That's not the goal. The goal isn't to talk back immediately because we won't believe it. Thank you for saying that. Yay. I love how you said that. (laughs) So good. The goal is just, to to not have that thought again, not allow that thought to keep growing. So instead of feeding that thought, we're going to feed the thought that maybe, possibly, things could get better. I am open to the thought that maybe someday I could be smart. Maybe, right? Those those small changes in how we talk to ourselves are super powerful. And obviously, as we build and we get closer to positive yeah. land over here, yeah. We will be saying things like, I'll you give know, you some analogies for positive uh-huh. land. There we go. Okay. Oh, perfect. Yes. There's so positive, positive land. land as we're, as we're approaching and we can see it on the horizon, yeah. the, the bridge statements might be more like, you know, I did feel smart yesterday. So it's a little one. It's a little mm-hmm. thing that's taking us. And we would just us. see it on this, yep, on our little bridge. Boop. We've made it. We see it a little bit. But it, again, we're not saying I am super smart. I'm the smartest person So the bridge swings. The yep. a swing bridge. It wasn't, you know, maybe... <laughs> Do you yeah. need to go back a bit and get some more reinforcement yep, sort of thing? Yep. Get it, get it tied a little tighter, put a couple more screws and nails yeah. in. Yeah. And so just building little by little so that we're not essentially trash talking ourselves all the time. Because if we do that, then we're going to believe it. And it's slowly going to only feed that toxic tree. We're only going to be able to have thoughts that are negative and hope stealing and, you know, helpless feeling, which again, going back to what we, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, then can cause us to be re-traumatized. And Mm -hmm. so we have to change those conversations little by little, thought by thought. I know it feels tedious, but just pick out like your top two to five thoughts and let's start there. Like many people these days, I've been struggling with uncertainty. What does the future hold? What will tomorrow look like? All these anxieties have made everyday activities like sleeping a challenge, which is why I've started using CBD to help support my mental health and brain detoxing. I have found that CBD is a great help with sleep and reduces pain, anxiety and inflammation. However, the CBD market has become extremely saturated over the last few years. It seems like now you can buy CBD in almost every coffee shop or grocery store. 
the only brand I trust is Ned when it comes to CBD products. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world using full-spectrum hemp oil products extracted from organically grown hemp plants. All the products that Ned offers are science-backed, nature-based solutions that provide an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Every night I use Ned's Sleep Blend, which contains CBN, a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep along with 750mg of CBD made from the world's purest single-source full-spectrum hemp oil, as well as organic and wild-crafted botanicals used in traditional medicine to foster rest. I also love their full-spectrum hemp oil, which helps de-stress my wellness routine with a single all-natural remedy for alleviating stress and anxiety. If you want to check out Ned and try their full-spectrum hemp oil or sleep blend for yourself, we have a special offer for the Cleaning Up the Mental Mess audience. Go to www.helloned.com forward slash Dr. Leaf or enter Dr. Leaf at checkout for 15% off your first one-time order only or 20% off your first subscription order. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash Dr. Leaf to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order. The link and details will be in the show notes. So based on what you said, and I love how you say that, is if you, people often will say to me, 63 days to change your brain. I don't have 63 days. I don't have 15 minutes a day. So my, and, and this kind of goes along with what you're saying there. Well, your mind's always working anyway, so you may as well do it because otherwise in 63 days' time, you haven't used one bridge statement. You still haven't even built a bridge. But 63 days, yeah. you've got 63 parts of your bridge. You're actually maybe a third of the way down your bridge, yeah. maybe even the whole way, maybe even just this much. It doesn't matter, but you've made progress. You've moved forward. So your mind's working anyway, so you may as, may as well make it work in the right direction. And bridging statements is a great way. And, and, it's so, and the reason I really wanted to emphasize it is because it's so healthy because for too many years there's been this move towards just take this thing and can and sort of band-aid it with a positive affirmation. Yeah. And it's not that a positive affirmation is a bad thing, but it's not going to work if you just think you can put the you know band-aid on the bullet wound concept or just pull chop the head off the weed. That's all it's doing. And you're not going to believe it. You don't do anything you don't believe. And you only believe something when you get to the root and you say, Okay, well now yep. it makes sense and you know, that kind of thing. So 100%. I think I love, the, I love the bridging statements because it makes things accessible and people can work their own out. You can do whatever level you feel the need. And there's, it's almost like people feel guilt around having a bridging statement. Like, oh, I'm not doing the positive thing. And that's yeah. from media and, you know, this, this philosophy that you just have to apply this and you'll be fine. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, it's not a it's quick so fix. It's so unrealistic, like, yeah. We have to consider something that I know this is It kind of, it helps me put it in perspective, but I know some people may be like, well, that's kind of a negative way to think about it. But just consider how long you've been having the conversation you've been having. Excellent Years point. and years. Excellent point. And we're talking, what, 62 days? 63 more or less. 63? Okay. And so that's 63. just one part. Yeah. What is that? What's that in your life? Yeah, and you've been do, having this negative one for so long. It, we're not going to change it overnight because it wasn't created overnight. Mm. But there are things that we can do to feel better in the moment. There are coping skills for now, but exactly. in the long term, it's You're like going let's to have to keep building that bridge. You yeah. have to. I often used to my patients through a sixty-three day cycle of just working on identity. Just forget everything that you can't do, and let's just start trying to learn to believe. And sometimes it would take like multiple cycles of 63 days just to get a person to believe the narrative that actually, and this is something we also spoke about, the narrative that I'm speaking to myself, the trash talk, and mm -hmm. the narrative that deep down you know is the truth. 
but it's so far that you don't ever believe you're going to cross the chasm. Do you remember us discussing something about this? Yes, yes. That narrative of, you know, so we have these two narratives and it's like we know, I know I should do that and I know I can do that and I know if I do this and I know, and they can give you, they can give you a therapy back to you, literally. They can tell you, but they're still stuck and there's that chasm between and how do you bridge that chasm? Now, we spoke about that. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, you've got one narrative and mm-hmm. you know that it's the truth narrative, but it's just like, and here's the narrative that you're speaking about yourself. So you're kind of in two narratives at once, but they're not, they're not, this one needs to go and this one needs to take over, but it's not happening. Yeah. And I think, I mean, kind of like bridge statements are part of that, like bridging yeah. that chasm. And I think another component of it, because, because we're so comfortable in the current narrative, it can be hard to jump. And, and, and like, logically, we can always know what's better. Like you said, yes. people will repeat back. And wise like, mind, yeah. Yes, I know you said this, and I know I'm supposed to do that. And I did do it, but it didn't feel as good. And I always tell people, like, the this new narrative, this new way that we're going to try to live our life, or the, yeah. the more, I don't know, mindful, however, whatever you want to call it. Reconceptualized, reframed. Yeah, a, a fresh, new, better us, right? Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Of course, we know that that's better. We yeah. already recognize the way yeah. that we talk and what, what's yeah. happening, but it can be hard to let go of the old narrative. And I mm-hmm. always encourage, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I always encourage my patients. I'm like, it's okay to grieve the old you. Oh, yes. That's so important. It, I think there's some kind of healing and uh, oh, even like more yeah. letting go as mm-hmm. we allow ourselves to, like, I've, I don't know if you've heard this from your patients, but a lot of my patients will say, I'm just really angry that it took that many years from me. Yes. Well, yes. Right? Oh, yes. Oh, so and often. I missed out on all of this, yeah. like especially my patients who have trauma and dissociate. Yeah. Yes. So they yes. Struggle. They're like, I didn't, I don't have full memory of these important events and I'm angry that it took it from yes. me. And I'm like, good. Oh, yes. It's okay yes. to be angry. Throw mm-hmm. a tantrum. Mm-hmm. Be mad. Mm-hmm. And then be sad about it. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I think giving ourselves the permission to to really feel it and allow it to go versus we like white knuckle. Cause we're like, well, this is safe. It's under, like, I know it, it's comfortable. I know what to expect. This new thing is going to feel, even though we know it's better logically, it can still feel super uncomfortable because we don't know what to expect. Like some of my patients have told me, well, if I just keep in this like trash narrative, I, I know where it's going to take me. Mm. It might not be good, but at least I know this. I don't know. Unknown is scary, right? And I think it's like the less we engage with that negative narrative, but the more we also identify and acknowledge the fear and that it's okay to be scared. Like I said earlier on, like change is uncomfortable. It's not easy. You don't do, you don't change entire ways you talk to yourself without a Mm -hmm. little fight and without a little fear and, you know, and even slip ups, right? It's not linear. Treatment's not linear. It's like a process. You know, I always say it's like a process, not perfection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think really it's in those bridge statements as well as in the the allowing ourselves to to grieve and to recognize when we want to go back to that old narrative that's comfortable. That That's all helpful information because it allows us to learn more about ourselves and our patterns so that then we can identify those things and we can work to change them. And I know this can sound like too, it's like too heady, right? It's like, it's a lot to conceptualize, but just know that if you find yourself wanting to go back to old ways, like I've had patients, you know, start talking more kindly to themselves and then end up in a nasty, abusive relationship again. And they think I failed. Mm-hmm. I did all this work with you and I failed. And I'm like, no, no, your work isn't gone. You have this other positive narrative it's running there. along. Mm-hmm. It's there. We just felt like this was more comfortable. 
And we work mm-hmm. to identify what are those comfort triggers? What are the mm-hmm. things that we really are seeking? Because often it's not, it, this sounds weird, but it's, it's not what we think it is. We'll think, mm-hmm. well, I like a, a bad boy or something, let's say, if we're talking mm-hmm. relationships. Mm-hmm. And I would say, is it because he's a bad boy or is it because he's independent and he doesn't need you? You don't have to caretake for him like mm-hmm. you do for everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be able to pull these, the these actual cause, and then why did you feel that you need to care for everyone? What happened in the root and all those? So when you start doing the thought detective work of going back down to the root, you start. Now I always talk about that. I'm writing a book about thought detectives and policy insurance policies, I love and all it. this kind mm-hmm. of thing. And and that's what you're describing so beautifully is that you've look at that pattern. And, I, and I'm so glad you said that. Like, they've done the work. They go back in an abusive relationship. You haven't failed. The work was done. But there's still an element. There's still maybe a portion here that hasn't quite been dealt with. So that's okay. You just work to you know complete the picture you know half yeah. of this thing is falling apart half has got tape on it so maybe that heart hasn't and it works for this thing maybe it that totally heart works. hasn't been revealed so yes. you, you know this is so this when this is unrevealed then you'll you'll have that wisdom to know you'll be at that point where you've got this you know this really strong so I, i'm so glad you brought that up that's amazing well i love talking to you and it's been it's flown by like it's near it's like literally an hour and it's flown by i want my listeners to know and viewers to know how they can get hold of you and where they can get your book and when it's being released and if you can give us all those details. Yeah, of course. And I love speaking with you too. Thanks for making the time and having me on today. So I have a, a YouTube channel. My name is Katie Morton. You can just search for me, K-A-T-I-M-O-R-T-O-N. I have a podcast, Ask Katie Anything. And my book, Traumatized, is out and available now. It's in the world. And you can get it wherever books are sold. Just search on Amazon or Target or Barnes & Nobles or even your local bookstore, your local library. You can ask for it there and it's available. Fantastic. Well, congratulations and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. And I know we didn't touch we didn't touch the tip of the iceberg, but I think <laughs> it was so a great <laughs> it was a great conversation and you and I can get carried away for hours, I think, talking about all these different <laughs> things. So thank you for joining me today. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.